I was one of three women in engineering classes of oh, wow. uh, 24 to 40 uh, men. Wow. And so when I'd go back and complain to my father that I felt it was unfair, he would say, you know, we, we grew up in countries that are led by minorities, so go out and lead. Welcome to the first episode of season two of Community in Arabic, sponsored by Lipton Yellow Label. In this season, we will be chatting with Rama Shakaki. She's a serial entrepreneur and a phenomenal speaker with a series of great achievements. She's part of Explain right now. She's a chief of operation and she's part of Transform VC. Mm -hmm. She co-founded a lot of companies, just to name a few, uh, Minton Laurel, and also she, she's the founder of Edseed. Rama, uh, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, it's my pleasure. Rama, while we were doing um, the research for this episode, we came by some staggering statistics um, you know, about women in leadership position. We found that only 37 out of the Fortune 500 companies have women CEOs. And of those, only a handful are actually minority women. Mm -hmm. And same with the corporate. When you talk corporate, of the C-suite across all corporate sectors in America, um, only 15% of C-suite positions are taken by women. Again, a handful of those are, are minority women. And even in the nonprofit sector, which was kind of like surprising to me because the nonprofit is typically a more diverse sector, um, women leadership was only 20%. So in this episode, we would love to hear about, you know, your journey, your experience, you know, with all the companies that you co-founded and, and, and what you do right now. But also through your experience, we'd love to hear about the challenges and opportunities for, for minority women, you know, rising into leadership and, and, you know, getting the rightful place in corporate and, and across all sectors in here. So we're very excited to talk to you today. Thank you. I'm excited to speak with you as well. It's a very important topic. So, Rama, tell us, uh, how was your 2020? <laughs> uh, it was actually great, I have to say. Uh, great in the sense that uh, there was a lot of focus brought on by not being able to go anywhere or do much. So uh, I channeled all of that energy to think about business strategy, how to excel uh, and then also to tackle some survival uh, issues for companies that I've invested in, like Mint and Laurel. It was a young company. How do we make it work? So in that sense, it was uh, pretty good because it survived and thrived and uh, had, uh, you know, took on some additional challenges that we'll talk about. Wow, that's great. So let's backtrack a little bit and talk a little bit about, about your background. Can we just hear a little bit? You know, you're, you're, you're an immigrant from Syria. You know, how did you make it here and how did you get to... Um, to getting involved in all, the, in all the businesses that you're in right now? My parents left Syria when I was four. We moved to Saudi for a while and then moved to the States when I was 16 uh, to Northern Virginia. And so I didn't really have much choice in the matter. It was dictated that we're coming, but I think it was a great choice. Um, my father would always remind us of the merits of being here and the, the, the opportunities that it presented to us. Got into med school or pre-med rather uh, to study speech therapy and audiology. And my father was always behind the scenes saying engineering, computer engineering. It's a really upcoming field. It's a great field. And because I was challenged by the terminology in, in speech therapy and specifically audiology classes. It was really difficult. I took more of an interest in engineering and settled for a minor in speech therapy and audiology and then went into computer engineering full on. From there, I worked in software development in telecom. And then uh, here I am, you know, years later. 
I mean, I was telling Malik while we were researching your background, uh, such a diverse background, uh, great organizations you started, great uh, causes you, you were part of. To us, you know, if we want to talk about like all the companies and all the organizations you started, uh, like the, the episode will be like, we'll take all day. But, a little but, long. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I'm really curious. Now you're, you're the chief of operations at Explain. And, uh, you know, now... We're on uh, the verge of uh, new technologies, AI, machine learning. Um, you know, would love to just speak with you about uh, Explain in general, the mission after I have a few questions about that. Sure. So Explain is uh, an AI company. We're an actual, actually, we're an AI marketplace. We bring together um, companies and individuals that are interested in utilizing AI uh, for their day-to-day -day business challenges with the scientist uh, community of AI, both specialists, individuals, as well as companies that supply AI solutions. And our mission is to deeply democratize AI. As a field, it's been a little bit exclusive. Not everybody understands it well. Not everybody has access to the deep uh, uh, experience that, that uh, the scientists in the field have. And with our marketplace, you'll be able to, even as a small startup, tap into the great resources and be able to, at an economically uh, affordable uh, level, get AI solutions to solve some of your business challenges. Great. So that's the overriding mission. For our audience who doesn't know what AI is, can you tell us a little bit more about, about that? So artificial intelligence is the common, I guess, term that's used, but it's really machine learning. It's uh, teaching machines, computers to uh, do tasks that humans are quite comfortable with. And then once the machines learn how to do them, they do them faster uh, in a more affordable and, and efficient way uh, and solve some pretty complex problems that humans will need uh, years sometimes uh, to, to solve. And, and that's where AI is particularly interesting, is when it's helping us address global environmental challenges, you know, being able to really tackle issues that are really complex and are troubling human beings. You know, to your point, uh, AI is, uh, uh, there's a lot of conversation about it right now. Uh, would AI replace me as a worker? Uh, would I lose my job because of AI? Or would AI uh, create new jobs? So, so. Uh, do you have a take on, you know, just high level on how would AI will, will play out? Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, there's a big conversation around ethics in AI and around uh, um, inclusion. And I think, uh, you know, bias versus inclusion. And, and I think it's up to us if we embrace the field and um, direct machine learning, we will be able to make sure it's inclusive and rather than replacing, it'll help us upgrade our skills and leave the, some of the more mundane tasks for machines uh, to do. Um, so far in, in the areas that we're working on with, let's say, translation, you can't 100% replace trans, uh, translators, but you can help them translate much more efficiently volumes of text mm -hmm. and leaving them to edit and, and, and just uh, supervise. Basically and like a lot of industries, yeah, like, like a lot of industries, it always comes in with people being a little bit skeptical, but then it shows that there's a collaboration uh, affordable to people 
to work with with the, the new technologies. Like horses and transitioning to cars, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you talk about you know deeply democratizing AI, can we dive a little bit more into this? Right now, there are big players in the AI field, uh, the Amazons, the Googles of the world, and uh, the the deep-pocketed customers, uh, whether it's the Exxons or Shells or others, that can really afford to make use of this. So there's a, an existing bias that we're trying to solve for there, where young entrepreneurs, startups, uh, artists, that uh, or communities like in the refugee community don't and NGOs don't have access to AI. So that's the first point of deeply democratizing it is making it affordable and accessible to members of those communities. The second is, you know, we all are consumers of social media. We all volunteer our data to Facebook and all of the other uh, social media networks and don't get a return on our investment. We're spending hours there volunteering content. In our, uh, um, our world at Explain, we believe that that's your data, you should own it and be able to monetize it and make money off of it. So that's another aspect of democratizing and making sure that uh, uh, you can benefit. And the third is um, to have the choice. You want to be able to choose freely from any and every supplier of AI service but they're not visible to you right now because the community is focused on the big players. But with our marketplace, we're hoping to make um, AI scientists that are working in Egypt or Jordan visible to you know, the community at large, or even you know, somewhere, places in the States that, where they're not visible in, in the academic circles or other. That's actually great because you know, when we were doing our first conversation together, I, you know, you hear about AI and all the great applications and you know there's a lot of ways we can benefit from it, but you have no idea how to access it or like how to monetize it or how to, you know, help you become more efficient. So it's great to hear that there's somebody who's trying to bring it down or make it more accessible to, to the average person, basically. We're very excited about the work we're doing. And we already have a few customers and examples where we're working with entrepreneurs in the Middle East. We're working with uh, startups in the States and it's... Uh, it's really exciting to see the work. That's great. We're looking forward to, to hear amazing news about uh, Explain and AI in the future. Now, Rama, of course, you being involved with technology and AI, you're also an investor, right? And, and, and uh, you're, you're part of Transform VC at Seed. Uh, would you tell us more about that aspect of your career and what led you eventually to being an investor? What led me to become an investor was the feeling that not enough investment was happening in social impact investments and female-led startups. Um, so I, I worked in Dubai for a while and I was involved in the first um, uh, women-led uh, angel investment network. And our criteria was to identify and invest in women-led businesses or women co-led businesses. Uh, and uh, you know, obviously that was to, to, to address some of the challenges that exist uh, and the biases that exist in the, in the investment uh, industry. Um, Transform VC, uh, I came across after being recruited to be the chief operating officer of Explain. Um, Transform invested in Explain, it's the lead investor in Explain. And it has a phenomenal mission of impacting uh, a billion um, 
by making a billion. Yeah, I love that and slogan. While, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Make a billion, make a billion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have a large remit. Um, we do um, um, uh, lean towards investing in uh, Middle Easterners in America. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the founder, Raad Masri, is a visionary. He's had several successful exits, and uh, he um, is a magnet uh, with his high energy for a lot of young men and women uh, that are from uh, the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have investments outside of that uh, group, but uh, because of his, his background, it, it tends to be, uh, we, we tend to have more of, of those in the port- portfolio. And his, you know, when, when he pitches Transform um, among investors, he says, you've heard of Mo Salah, you've heard of Gigi Hadid, but do you know how many of them exist in the tech sector that you may not know? And those right. are the stars that we want to bring up uh, in the tech sector. No, that, that's a great mission. Through your experience and with everything you did, and you covered it perfectly that you guys are investing in, in you know, Middle Eastern and the United States, and then you do a lot of investing in women-owned businesses. So, you know, why the focus on women-owned businesses? And, you know, what, you know, what, what, gets, what drives you to be more focused on that area specifically um, in the startup sector? Having gone through the different phases of uh, running businesses, and, um, and I invested in about 23 startups, most of which mm-hmm. failed, but it was a great learning experience. I've become very attuned to the challenges women have in starting up businesses and, um, and look to solve them by investing in other women-led businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think that there's an, because industry at large has been led by men, there is a, a, an unconscious um, um, bias to language that favors men, processes that favor men. And so with my work, I tend to see how we can address that and solve it. There was a great book by BCG Consulting Group called uh, What Women Want. Uh, and and it, it kind of sheds this light on how women expect different things and we try to provide them um, in, in our investments. That's an amazing uh, goal, basically. Just to delve in more into uh, your journey as as a woman leader in tech, do you think or do you remember any point um, during your, your journey that you faced a certain challenge that would let you make this uh, goal as as a mission of yours. Uh, you want to empower women, you want to invest in them, uh, you want to see them uh, succeeding. Uh, did any uh, challenge happen during your career that, that made this a goal of yours? It started at university. So I, I had studied in an all-female uh, high school in Saudi and then moved to the States and got into an engineering school where um, I was one of three women in engineering classes of oh, wow. uh, 24 to 40 uh, men. Wow. And so when I'd go back and complain to my father that I felt it was unfair, he would say, you know, we, we grew up in countries that are led by minorities, so go out and lead. You know, you should be no different uh, well, that's to, an amazing, to, uh, to everyone yeah. else. And with that mindset, he always reminded me that there's no difference. And he would oftentimes tell me about the statistics in the Middle East where our engineering schools in Syria had 40, sometimes 50% uh, female attendees. So we come from a background um, back then that our countries didn't see these biases and we had uh, phenomenal successes uh, by women engineers. So I kind of 
adopted that and, and uh, felt it. And I also come from a background of really successful women that have done a lot in assumed different roles uh, than, than what maybe traditional roles dictate. Um, fast forwarding, when I started seeing some of the, the challenges, um, worked in Dubai for a while um, and, and, and felt the inequity of, of investments where a lot more serious investment was going into back uh, male-led startups. Um, I started feeling this, this uh, discomfort and deciding to, to invest more. And one of, one of the investors I spoke to actually uh, was pitching uh, uh, our incubator to invest in at the time. Why are you giving yourself such a headache with this? Why don't you just do what the other women do and just, you know, sit at home, raise a family, relax. You don't need this Oh, my challenge. God. <laughs> and so with that, I thought, yeah, no, I guess if, if, if I'm receiving this advice, I'm sure a lot of other women are. Absolutely. And of course. And we should do wow. something about it. Absolutely. Well, you know, you covered the challenges that face women in startups mainly. You know, you covered the inequities um, and all the biases when you go to, to pitch for a startup and try to raise fund. Um, do you see these challenges to be kind of like similar, the same inequities and biases in the corporate world as well? And what are the main challenges that, you know, young women face when they try to make their way in the corporate world? While these uh, challenges are out there uh, across the world, there are differences between the challenges faced by women of Middle Eastern background in the Middle East and uh, or here and of, of uh, the rest. And I, so I, I take that into account. Uh, our communities and culture remain a little bit harsh on women with a lot of expectations being on women raising the family, women leading, women taking care of the extended family. So those things uh, need to be accounted for. And I oftentimes uh, advise women to be very selective on when in their lifetime are they focused on the startup. Can they afford to do that when they have young kids at home or if they don't have the support system that they need? At large, the industry has a bias, sometimes conscious, sometimes unconscious, because it was uh, traditionally led by men. So women are catching up. And there aren't enough examples or role models. Uh, and, you know, there, there are the challenges, um, the social challenges that women are still the ones taking care of uh, kids or, 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 or raising them. Um, but mostly it's, it's role modelship. And there are great organizations out there like Lean In that was set up by Sheryl Sandberg. Uh, and I'm hoping to see more uh, organizations that are, led by Arab uh, women that can help them uh, see role models from their own um, um, background. Uh, but, and, and there are ones that already exist, like Arab Women in Computing is a great example of, of an organization that helps address some of these issues and provides opportunity, shows women how to um, scale the, the career path and, uh, and go up to chief scientists where, where available for them. And, you know, in your experience, what do you think the traits that an immigrant should have uh, in, to be able to excel in the workplace in the U.S.? Number one is gumption, is the will and knowing uh, the knowledge that you can make it and there are no barriers. So removing those barriers. Number two, and I say this very carefully, is not to always listen to your parents' advice because oftentimes <laughs> the parents are pushing their kids to be either doctors or engineers or stay at home, you know, focus on your family. 
And you know, there there are a lot of women with incredible talent and men as well. We you know, men feel the same thing, but with incredible talent that is not never pursued because of family saying, "Come on, this is too difficult." Uh, don't don't pursue these challenging paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then I think the other part is being open uh, to educating yourself on uh, uh, minority opportunities. Uh, that that's a path that we don't know about when we're immigrants. We don't know that there are special avenues for minorities to take advantage of loans or investments. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's it. And last but not least is network. Find yourselves networks of people that you can be inspired by, uh, people who can support you in the industries that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's very important. Yeah. Oh, agree. that's a great advice. When you talk about all the, the the challenges and the traits of what it takes, it only makes me think about all the opportunities that lie ahead of us. You know, lie ahead of us as as immigrants that are that are coming here and trying to embrace the society and get into the corporate world, and also for for women immigrants. You know, as the world becomes more open, more equitable. And, and more aware of the biases and try to like open up and have more opportunity for inclusion. It's such an amazing time for, for you know, driven, dedicated women to go out there and do the best out of it and, and work their way up. So, you know, I, I just would love to hear your take about if you were in that position right now, you know, what, is, what are like little things that you think people should do or like especially you know, young women should do to work their way up and like rise into leadership in, in, their, in their corporate world? I think one is to remove this idea that capital is a challenge. There's plenty of money out there and it's waiting to be had. Uh, second is learn to communicate effectively. Work on yourself. You could have the best ideas, but if you can't communicate them effectively, then it's they're not going to mm-hmm. see the light of day. And then third, uh, those, those networks that you can tap into that are readily available that can take you from one level to another. These uh, incubators um, that are out there to, to nurture ideas uh, are abundant and they're, they're looking for unique and raw talent. Uh, and then last but not least, start with your immediate community. Be very persistent about pitching your ideas in your community and make them happen uh, or, or, or get like... Um, Get the criticism from your immediate network uh, to, to kind of push those barriers and, and get out of the network. That's a great advice. Yeah, it is. Um, so to you, uh, coming from, uh, from the Middle East to the U.S., going through uh, uh, the educational system here and, and uh, you know, succeeding in your career, what do you uh, advise uh, young girls and young women coming from the Middle East? immigrating to to North America and uh, looking for a, a better future for great opportunities. What, what is your advice to them? I think they have a bigger challenge than I had back uh, when I went to school. Uh, with social media, there's this temptation to become a superstar and become an influencer. And I see a lot of young ladies opting to take that path, which mm-hmm. seems a little bit easier, but it really is more challenging. Uh, as they move forward. Um, A, because it puts them in the public eye maybe sooner than they're ready for. B, because these influencers are very quickly being replaced by AI influencers, so they'll be phased out of their jobs fairly quickly. And C, there's a lot more depth and opportunities out there for sustainable income and sustainable careers. I would advise women to look at data science as a career option. 
Um, there's many uh, uh, different segments within data science that could appeal to those more interested in um, uh, deep tech versus very light uh, or, or, or not light, light tech or even, even in the business or humanitarian areas um, and humanitarian sciences. But that's an, a career that's exploding. So I would definitely advise women to look into that and not be intimidated by the fact that it's more dominant uh, by males or, or uh, other cultures. Um, I would also advise them to really reflect on their talent. A lot of immigrants come here from educational systems that were rote learning, where we were told, this is what you do, this is what you study. Exactly. <laughs> and you have an opportunity in the States especially in the first two years of your education, to explore and take very different options, uh, uh, classes that are options. So really explore your talent if you feel like you're inclined to music or environmental sciences or movie production. There's, there's so much interest and curiosity about the Middle East now in media mm -hmm. that you can come out with amazing films if, you know, if you're talented uh, uh, in that sense. So get into script writing and other areas. But definitely uh, be open to technology and don't think of it as I need to have an engineering degree to get into tech. We have a lot of people who, who come from um, having studied humanities in other areas and then get into tech in, in marketing positions in other areas. So I definitely uh, invite them to think about that. Last but not least, um, intern. Find opportunities to intern. We have a, a young lady who just joined us. She's from Saudi Arabia. She's an intern with us. She actually lives in Saudi. So this isn't just for immigrants. It's for people overseas. Um, just to learn about what she likes and doesn't like about the AI field. And um, you make your choices through practical application. That's a better approach. I wanted to ask for you personally, what is, what is your vision? You know, where... Where would you want to go next? Like, what would you want to go next? What's something that you're like, okay, this is my, this is my go-to goal, um, you know, in life? On the nonprofit side, and you mentioned EdSeed, it's our platform to uh, crowdfund for, for um, youth impacted by conflict, for their higher education specifically. My aim there is to be able to support 6,000 students um, in, while I'm leading the platform and then unleash it to others to um, uh, or, or hand it over to others who will take it on and run it. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a philanthropic goal that I feel I owe to my uh, brothers and sisters uh, from Syria, Palestine, and other areas uh, in the Middle East. From a business perspective, we're just starting the journey of Explain, and um, you know, hopefully in a couple of years we'll talk and we'll be... Uh, giving a run for, for the money of any company that's looking to establish an AI marketplace. And hopefully, specifically, my goal is making that marketplace accessible to young men and women who are Syrian in uh, the Middle East, or not Syrian, in the Middle East, who are perceived as, you know, these are people on the fringes today of AI. So mm -hmm. I'd like to make it accessible to them. I'd also like AI to be accessible to people who never thought they would consume it or produce it, um, whether they're young ladies of, of uh, you know, our background or, or anyone else. Um, and last, I think just being a part of this disruption, it's amazing. I, I really would love for everyone to join in and, and get a glimpse of what machine learning is, is all about.
Yeah, absolutely. Actually, just a quick follow-up question. So for, for Explain, you know, I know we're starting to get engaged with you guys and we're getting a little more educated about, you know, how can our platform, you know, collaborate. Um, how can other people learn about how can what they do, you know, engage with Explain and how can they, you know, make, make sense of it and, and engage with it and, and work with you guys? So uh, as a company in stealth mode right now, uh, uh, we're flying under the radar as we um, uh, secure all our patents. The platform will go live in September. In the meantime, they can submit a query on, uh, on our website and just put in a, uh, their email and we'll reach out back to them and engage them one-on-one -on -one as we've done with you. And we're very excited at bringing on board any uh, one interested in, in finding AI solutions and particularly in the media and publishing uh, uh, and broadcasting domains. Right. The more we discuss with you and the, and the more we talk, the more I'm really amazed. How do you find the time to do all that? You're, you're in philanthropy, you're, you're in uh, multiple startups, in tech, AI. Uh, I'm really curious, how do you find the time to do all that? So like a lot of Syrian women, I was married pretty early. I had my children early and now they're grown up, so I have the time uh, to do that. But I think generally in my career, I've been uh, really focused on it and, and, and maybe favored it over social uh, activities. I like the people I work with, so that's my social network. I guess I, I'm quite disciplined at, at uh, work, uh, and uh, it pays off. Discipline pays off. How do you think about uh, the family support in being able to achieve all that? Do you, do you think it plays a role? Do you think it's like kind of motivates you to do more? Tell us more about that regard of uh, uh, having a supportive family to be able to achieve all these uh, achievements that you have. It's definitely huge. I'm lucky that I had supporting parents and siblings. Uh, uh, so even when I went through difficult challenges in my life, whether it was medical or, or divorce, I still had them as, as a backbone to lean on. Um, but I would also say that uh, y you have to have the internal drive despite or in spite having the support of course. Mm -hmm. and balance the two. And if you can't find the support from your immediate community, then look at other communities for support. So there's been times where even my family didn't understand what I was getting into with social entrepreneurship and social impact. So I had to find my tribe or even make my tribe in that sense and started hosting events and attracting people that oh. were like-minded. That's so, great. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, it's a question that we always like to, to close with, which is how can our community be supportive of what you do, and especially of Etsyd? You know, what, what can we do on our end to help you guys? It takes a, a village, as they say. I think promoting Etsyd, even if you can't donate $5 a month for a campaign of one of our young people on, on the platform, just share it, talk about it on social media, on traditional media, within the community, um, collaborate, collaborate on just sponsoring one campaign. Uh, we've been so fortunate now the community is embracing it, but uh, the more you do that, the better. Uh, and at the end of the day, there, I think about it this way, by, by helping uh, um, each young man or woman who's a refugee today um, get a higher uh, education degree, they can take their entire family out of that, you know, poverty economic uh, space. And so 
you know, please spread the word as you're doing. And thank you so much for doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You're really elevating an entire family, not just a single person by doing that. And, you know, love this mission. We'll do everything we can to support for sure. And we'll rally up our community to be in support of you guys. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rama. It was such a pleasure having this conversation with you. And hopefully we'll have further conversation yeah, in the future. Ho hopefully next time in person. Yes. We're looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, Rama. Thank you so thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you.